hey, John, we've talked to a lot of folks on this podcast already. This this guy, Jim Halverson, I'm not so sure about, you know, he spends a lot of time lurking in the bushes trying to pull us over. Jim is a really interesting guy. I, I'm, I'm excited for this podcast only because he really takes some controversial positions that are going to get uh, our listeners fired up. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I agree. People are going to get fired up. That's for sure. Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. On the line with us is Jim Halverson. Jim, welcome. How are you? It's a great day. Awesome. Well, so Jim, you know, we're not sure if our listeners know exactly who you are, but I'm pretty sure at the end of this podcast, they're gonna. So tell the Behind the Bars podcast a little bit uh, about yourself, who, who you are and and why we wanted to interview you. Uh, well, I'm uh, known in the uh, journalistic world as the contrarian for uh, Motorcycle Consumer News, which is a uh, subscription-based magazine that I have a monthly article in. But they've asked me to write because of my experience as a motor officer with the New York State Police. I retired, okay. retired with New York State Police as a lieutenant in charge of our motor unit, and I designed uh, many of our traffic safety programs. So you're a, so do we call you a, a, a motor cop? Well, sure, you call me a, an ex-motor cop anyway. I uh, I worked for the sheriff's office down in Maryland on their motor unit uh, after I retired for quite a few years, but uh, I had to give that up because commuting got a little rough here from New York. And you're still you're st- you're still in law enforcement, though. Uh, just recently left the uh, the sheriff's office in uh, Worcester County, Maryland, and so now I'm just doing all sorts of freelance work. So you called yourself a contrarian, and and I noticed that Mark was pulling up his Google. And he was looking up what the word contrarian means. <laughs> tell, tell us, uh, tell us why, why do people refer to you as a contrarian? Well, I think I'm a voice uh, for law enforcement, but you know, most motorcyclists are not interested in having law enforcement in their lives. And for the most part, most people aren't. It's not just motorcyclists. But I come away with a little different perspective on... Uh, motorcycle safety, I think the word alone is a paradox, motorcycles and safety. Um, by the very nature of the machine, of course, it's not a, a safe to operate as a, motor, as a regular four-wheel motor vehicle. And so uh, as a police officer, I was looking at statistics in all different categories of how many people were being killed by in crashes where not wearing their seatbelt, how many were killed by commercial motor vehicles, how many were killed as pedestrians, and uh, DWI and speed, and we saw that we were doing a pretty good job at knocking down all of those numbers. The rates of people being killed year after year after year for many years had continually gone down. But if you looked at the one category where the fatalities were going up, it was the motorcycle community. And if you wanted to put a graph together and look at, say, well, how much money is being spent on DWI checkpoints and seatbelt checkpoints and truck stops, the, the money was overwhelming. But if you looked at where the money was being spent to safeguard motorcyclists, it was virtually non-existent. And so I sought to change that, and I thought it was only fair to the motorcycle community, being a motorcyclist myself, to 
somebody started paying attention to us. I see. Way to way to bring down the podcast. You know, I mean, this is. I was thinking that this is going to be such a fun conversation, Mark. And then here we got Jim, who who brings us down. I mean, Talking about safety. I, I was I was on top of the world when we started this thing. I was like telling you how excited I was that we were going to interview Jim. Yeah, yeah. Because he writes yeah. on all these different magazines yeah, and people. And then now, right away, right off the line, we want to talk about safety. Yeah. Such an exciting topic. Hey, you know. <laughs> Hey, Jim, with all due respect, so you were, a, you were a motorcycle mounted cop in New York State, is that right? Correct. A Mountie. A Mountie. Well, so, I don't know. Do they call so, them Mounties? I don't know. I, I think, no, I think those horses. are horses. Those are horses. Whatever. So, I'm going to call them a Mountie from this point forward. So, Jim, with... Call us a Mountie. I think you're taking away from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who I think have earned that title. And we would uh, certainly defer to those gentlemen on the horses and... Not looking at ourselves. Well, they're a lot safer. They're According safer. to Jim Halverson, they're a lot safer on the horse. Hey, hey, Jim, with all, with all due respect, uh, buddy, what's the deal with you guys lurking behind bushes and shit? Why don't you just be a little more overt about everything? What's going on here? Well, tell me what you mean by that, because, I mean, I, I, you mean like when they sit in the median strip? Well, when you no. like, when you like it's hiding, a, hiding. It's, yeah, it's stuff. not a median strip. No, it's you, trees and yeah. brush and signage. Yeah. Like the, 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 uh, the billboards. It's an ambush. Yes, an ambush, exactly. So what? why can't you guys just be a little more straightforward? Because the reason why motorcycle riders have a thing about this is that you guys are like, you know, creepy. You're hiding out. We're hiding? Wow. You know, that's odd you say that because um, we put up these big signs and say, motor, motorcycle checkpoint ahead. And uh, everybody know it was coming. Don't even get us started right. with... We, all right, go ahead and tell our listeners your your perspective on the the checkpoints, motorcycle checkpoints, which I think is unconstitutional. I agree. Well, you, you may agree, but it's been held constitutional both in New York State and uh, within the nation. The, the uh, U.S. District Court, Northern District, heard the case back in two thousand five, I believe it was, and. It was ruled constitutional. Then the four people who brought the suit, their attorneys, went ahead and appealed it, and it was the appeal was upheld by the U.S. Circuit Court. So this case, should it choose to go any a next step, would go to the U.S. Supreme Court, which of course they would never hear it because the arguments were, were so lame that uh, the Supreme Court would never even hear the case. So right now it's it's the law of the land. However, states can be more restrictive. So if you live in a state where a DWI checkpoint or a seatbelt checkpoint is illegal because your state has mandated that any type of traffic checkpoint is illegal, well, then that state also cannot do a motorcycle checkpoint. So in Vermont, do you have these types of things? Motorcycle checkpoints? No, no, no. Uh, A seatbelt checkpoint or a... um, I don't think so. I think they're mostly predominantly uh, DUI checkpoints with a uh, with an extra layer of checking for the seatbelts. Okay. Yeah. So in some states, you know, you can't do any kind of checkpoint whatsoever, and in those states, the motorcycle checkpoint wouldn't so be done. Let, let's let's answer the question. We I think we both agreed it's unconstitutional. Is is uh, what's your take on it? Is it unconstitutional? No, it is not. 
Let, let's move this thing along. I, I, I'm really, you know, I, disappointed that he's already taken the position. Uh, a motor cop, a motorcycle. He calls himself an enthusiast. Yes, and yet he hides in the bushes. He hides in the bushes. A. Yeah. B. He also agrees that let's pull these guys over and just yeah. dig through their saddlebags. Yeah. So helmets. Let's get on the oh, top. Oh, you're you're putting words in my mouth. Well, I, that's how I, I mean. That was only my perspective, Jim. <laughs> so how do you feel about helmets, Jim? Do you think do you think that uh, that helmets ought to be mandated? What's your stance on this? I think that it ought to be left up to each state. I think that each state uh, should be That's able to legislate, and they do. Uh, you know, as it's set now, each state should have the right to legislate or not for well, or against a, Jim, a helmet. Jim, it sounds like you're dodging a little bit here. Why are people's heads more important in one state than another? <laughs> You'll have to ask the legislature of each of those states. Well, so what's what's Jim's perspective on helmets? I think that uh, the, one of the number one reasons a motorcyclist dies in a motorcycle crash is head injury. Yeah, you're probably right. So if you, if you know this information and you choose not to wear a helmet, then that's on you. And, and I'm okay with that. I mean, that's a, that's a, a choice that a rider makes. Mm -hmm. But the flip side to that is if the rider is going to choose to not wear that helmet, then that rider should also have uh, some sort of waiver that says, hey, if I'm injured or I'm a vegetable or uh, I pass away as a result of my motorcycle crash, that no public funds can be used to keep me alive or to resuscitate me. Or Why should we have a uh, volunteer ambulance crew, which I'm sure there's many in Vermont. You probably don't have many paid EMT folks. Why should we tie up a three or four person ambulance crew to go out to a rider to try to assist this rider for a head injury that could have been averted? And we would not have even had to tie up our ambulance. And I'll give you a perfect example. As a motor officer, I was involved in a minor mishap at probably 10 to 15 miles per hour. I was cut off by another motor unit when there was a mix-up in signals, and I went down, and my right shoulder hit the ground, and the right side of my head smacked the pavement. And I got up, moved my bike out of the road. We talked about what we did wrong. There was no damage. We got up, and away we went. That was a potential fatal crash without a helmet. True story. I believe that. Mm -hmm. So... Now, so, I mean, I know they work. I'm living proof of it. I, I'm an ice climber. And when I climb and I do ice, my ice climbing, I wear the proper tools, proper ice pit, the proper, proper crampons, and a helmet. I'm trying to minimize my risk at whatever I do. When I was a, when I was a police officer, I wore my vest all the time. No matter how hot it was, no matter how uncomfortable it was, I think that as a, as a rider or as a parent or as a brother or sister, you owe it your to your family to be able to come home and be as sick as you can be. If I was killed in the line of duty as a result of a gunshot wound to my vest, and somebody has to come to my family and tell them, hey, Jim passed away from a gunshot wound, he didn't have his vest on, my family would be bitter over that for a very long time. Hmm. Well, I get that, Jim. Makes total sense. So, Jim, you must have had some pretty, 
amazing adventures out there mounted on a motorcycle. Have you ever had uh, ever had somebody try to outrun you while you were on your bike? Um, I have had motor, motorcyclists that try to outrun us. For the most part, you can't outrun the radio. Um, this is not a slam against some of the Harley Davidson motorcycles, but easy now. It sounds like it's heading in that easy, direction. Easy, easy. Yeah, there are far more high-performance, high-speed motorcycles out there that we don't have a chance. Yeah, no doubt. No, when yeah. We, we know when we see these bikes go by that we don't have a chance of catching them, nor would we try. We would be jeopardizing ourselves and the public. But what we're going, is, what we're going to do is get the best description we can, call out on the radio, and hopefully we can get them down the road. But those types of individuals, they are very self-regulating gene pool. Ah, yes. Jim. Jim. That nice description, Jim. T- tell us what's your what what is your favorite story on being a motor cop? Uh, it's not going to be as nearly as exciting as you would think, uh, but it is my favorite story. And uh, since you asked, I was at a gas pump up in the North Country in the Adirondack Mountains, and another motorcyclist. I was surprised of the question. He says to me. Why does the state police have motorcycles? What kind of motorcycle do that a car can't do? And I was really caught off guard. I had to think about this for a minute. And, and of course, the cars have such tremendous advantages over a motorcycle. But I said to him, well, exactly what's going on right now. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, if I was here pumping a troop car with gas, would you have walked up and talked to me? He said, no. I said, but that's what a motor cop does. That's what we do. It brings out conversation. It lets the public talk to us in a way that they not normally would have done before. For some reason, when we're on a motorcycle, people feel like they can let their guard down and come up and chat with us. And we embrace that. We love that opportunity. And these were some of the things I couldn't get through to some of my senior command staff was that the public loves to see us out there. The kids wave in the back seat. The adults give you a thumbs up as you're going down the road. And there's just a genuine feeling of camaraderie between the police and the public when we're on our motor. Interesting. Hmm. And I think that's that's one of the stories that I really like the most was because that's really how we would like to be portrayed. Well, I, that uh, falls right into line with our thinking that riders, no matter where what walk of life you come from, uh, have this thing in common, this this bond, which are those two wheels, and uh, even if we're on uh, opposite sides of the uh, spectrum, it is a it's something that brings us together. So I, it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that, Jim. Very interesting. It was it was really one of the most fun parts of police work for me was to be able to be out on a motor and to be able to interact. Um, I had stopped in, uh, I did my patrolling with the sheriff's office in Worcester County, Maryland. And when I was out on the road, I would make an attempt to stop and see, see the kids. And we, I had stopped at a uh, skate park. And what I found amazing was how the kids gravitated to the motorcycle. And they all thought initially they were in trouble. Every single one of them thought that they were going to be uh, chastised for being outside the skate park on their motorcycles on the sidewalk. And I just stopped to chat with them. I really hadn't realized it until I saw that almost every kid that was out on their, on their skateboard didn't have a helmet on. 
And we talked about helmets. It wasn't like, hey, you guys should wear your helmets. It was, uh, well, you know, it gets hot. It was, it was amazing. And all, all the same excuses that the kids came up with skateboarding, the cops, I mean, the, um, the riding public comes up with the same, oh, they're hot, they're uncomfortable, you know, they're, they're a pain in the butt. And so when I wanted to get a picture of all of us, Nobody wanted to be left out of the picture, so we could not get anybody to take the picture because none of the kids wanted to be left out. That's funny. Huh. So the only way we got the picture was to have two pictures with two different kids left out of the picture, so that we had a picture of every, so that each kid had a picture of everybody. Interesting. Hey, hey, Jim, do you remember the um, the show back in the seventies or eighties uh, called Chips? I do. How are you? I yeah, John, to, John told no, no. me before we no, no. got why started. Why do you? Why would you? Why would he not know about chips? Well, 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 are you serious? You think the guy is a motor motor cop and he doesn't know about chips? Well, I'm sure he knew about chips, but what I don't believe is what you told me is that that's how that's what inspired Jim to become what he is. That he wanted to be like. He's not going to tell you that they inspired him to be a motor cop, but I'm sure that they did. I'm sure they played a big role, and he he probably thinks of himself as a as a paunch. And I was going to say, did, 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 was he inspired by Pop? I know he was. He's not going to tell you that. He's going to say, no, 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 and he's going to have some other thing. But the fact is, he probably saw the show and was like, I want to do that. And I'm going to be just like Ponch. And Ponch wore a, wore a, uh, a, a, a the, the, the vest, yeah. the proper vest, all the time, even when it was hot out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ponch wore a helmet all the time when he yeah. rode the motorcycle. It's true. You know? True. Well, so, why don't we let Jim answer the yeah, question? Yeah, fine, ask yeah, him, but I mean, don't, but don't, uh, let's not assume that the guy doesn't know who, what the hell Chips is. Jim, were you inspired, I, was your career trajectory inspired by Chips? It w most certainly was not. It was most See, told you. happenstance, it was a, it was a happenstance, luck of the draw opportunity, and I'll plug your company for this one. In, after 9-11, uh, Harley-Davidson rode uh, I believe it was 12 or 18 brand-new Harley-Davidsons down to New York City and donated six to the New York State Police. And these motorcycles were ridden because they wanted the break-in periods already done so that the bikes could be used for service right away. Wow, I didn't even know that. During 9-11. And so with six additional bikes came the need for six additional riders. So I, at that point, took the opportunity to apply for the position and was given a shot at it and successfully passed the two-week school, which was quite rigorous. I've heard that it's, it's actually not that difficult, but okay. <laughs> okay, well, you know, if you don't mind picking up an 800-pound machine about 30 times a day for the first couple of days, you know, it's, it's not rigorous at all. Well, you you can't be the only contrarian on this podcast. <laughs> well, so anyway, I had gotten selected for it, and uh, at that time I was a sergeant and made the detail, and then when I was promoted to lieutenant, they asked me if I wanted to stay on the detail and run it because at the time the sergeant who was on it and in charge was retiring, so it worked out perfectly. And that's, that's how I wound up where I was uh, with the uh, state police motor unit. Well, Mark, Mark, I don't know whether you know this or not, but how I met Jim originally, we had a cop on top down here. We were raising money for Special Olympics, and he agreed to come down and do a uh, demonstration 
uh, on his motorcycle. And while I don't want to give Jim a lot of credit because it just feels funny, yeah. uh, the fact is he, he rode the motorcycle like it was like a, like, like a toy to him. Yeah. And the corner, I mean, tight, 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 yeah. super tight corners. I mean, those guys are, are amazing. So I'll give you kudos on that, Jim. You, you are a pretty amazing rider. And uh, um, I was extremely impressed. And I, I wanted to try it. Uh, but I, I just, I didn't cause I didn't want to, uh, do it in front of everybody. It's one of those just sort of things, you know, I mean, I figured I could probably pull off the same corners and stuff. I just didn't want to do it in front of everybody Yeah. because I hadn't practiced. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. So I appreciate you saving your compliments for the show. Hey, 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 Jim. <laughs> yeah. I'm a relatively new rider and, uh, John has been kind enough to give me a lot of advice about, uh, riding out on the road and being safe and. One of the things that he told me that I kind of thought was a little strange, I was wondering if you could comment on it. He he told me that I should always slow down when I was driving past donut shops because that's where all the cops were, and I thought that was a little unfair. So I'm wondering how you feel about that. Do you think there's an unfair association with cops and donuts? Well, I think that if you had a um, coffee shop that didn't sell donuts, there would be just as many cops there, but the fact that they sell donuts just, you know, gives us a bad rep. But we don't mind playing into it. It's actually kind of fun. We love <laughs> I'm glad you feel it is. So <laughs> it is. It, you know, you've seen the T-shirt, "Bad Cop, No Donut." <laughs> hey, Jim, what do you? You're you're you write how often for? What what magazine is it? Tell our listeners. This is uh, Motorcycle Consumer News. It's a subscription-based magazine. So, like your show. Uh, we can pretty much say whatever we want because we're not worried about offending uh, contributors. And it's that, that is actually a pretty prestigious, um, well, um, you know, well-known um, magazine. And is it uh, the the um, how often does it come out again? It comes out monthly. Okay. And you'll you'll find my articles on page forty-two. Um, but we've had many people write in saying uh if you continue to keep jim as a columnist we will no longer buy your magazine so i guess i'm i'm fulfilling my role as the contrarian well well jim Jim, what what is it about your perspective that makes you so controversial that way what i mean i i i guess i'm not familiar with with why you refer to yourself as a contrarian what is it about your perspective well i i think that uh Besides the motorcycle checkpoints, which has been certainly the most contentious issue, um, I think that the public looks at us as if, well, you know, the cops are only in this to make money for the state. And, you know, we don't, people actually believe that, you know, there must be some benefit to to police for writing tickets. We don't get any more pay. We don't get extra days off. We don't get a free toaster at the end of the month. You know, it's, it's just that we're doing it because we know that this saves lives. And so whether I'm a motor officer or just a police officer, I think that aspect alone makes me the contrarian. But also even among uh, some of the motor cops have written in and say, hey, this guy doesn't speak for all of us. And the truth <laughs> is, I certainly don't. I certainly don't uh, speak for all motor officers. I think there's a common bond among us, but there are certain things that um, motor officers out west will to that a motor officer at East has got cooler weather and different riding climates and different traffic patterns would not would not subscribe to the same philosophies hmm interesting 
Jim, have you ever had to transport a perp on your bike? <laughs> no, that's not done. It's not done? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there, there could be a scenario where that, that occurs, Jim. Well, we have an idea for this thing called a daddy cage. Have you heard about these things, Have Jim? you heard about daddy cages? A, a daddy cage? Yeah. yeah, the daddy cage. Please tell me. So it's, so it's like a set of roll bars that encases the rider on a motorcycle so they're they're in a like a cocoon, a protective cocoon. And if you had one of those things on your motorcycle, you could put a perp in there. You could put a perp in there, and you know there'd be no windows to roll down or anything like that. You could just it's all it. open air. Daddy all cages air. are all open air, yeah. so there's plenty of fresh air. And yeah. if the perp smells, yeah, it, it doesn't matter because the wind pulls the smell right off. Right. I mean, it would save the taxpayers money if you guys were a little more creative that way about you know. Well, if Jim were thinking outside the box, he'd yeah. already he probably already would have created a daddy cage. Yeah. You, what do you think of that idea, Jim? Uh, I, I have to say I don't know enough about it, but on its, uh, on its face, it doesn't sound doable. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> we've, uh, we've, we've flown by. We are at 25 minutes here. Um, so is there anything that you want to talk about, Jim, that we haven't already touched upon or, um, you know, maybe you want to make a plug for your, 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 uh, piece of the magazine that people love to tear out and burn well yeah i think uh i can add a little fuel to that fire sure um i've noticed over the years that uh snowmobilers and motorcyclists really have a lot in common they're both recreational activities they both uh like to get on them on the weekends they both like to get on them when the weather's nice and they like to go to bars and the and even these poker runs that are set up, many of them go from bar to bar to bar. And this is a recipe for disaster. The, the motorcycling community and alcohol has got to be somehow separated. Uh, the latest statistics out of NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, says that of the fatal motorcycle crashes on weekends at night, 62% of the motorcyclists were intoxicated. Wow. This is just an astounding number. Hmm. And if you're a motor officer or a police officer and you knew that number, I could tell you that I would be pulling over motorcyclists at night oh. on the weekends all the time, Jim. as much as I could. Jim, wait. Way to be saving lives. yeah, you way to end this podcast. I'll tell you right now. I mean, a somber note, but also, I mean, the fact that he's just he's he it's he's like the Babe Ruth of motor cops. He's like, I'm calling him out. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull. All, it's nine o'clock on a Saturday night. This guy is pulling you over if you're on a motorcycle. Well, I, I think it's pretty hard to argue with Jim about this one, John. Come oh, on, I, you haven't got a leg to this stand. This is a this is a whole nother podcast. We'll we'll get into. We'll we will. I, I think we should invite Jim back. Okay, I think we should do. But we, we'll extend the invitation if our listeners don't unsubscribe from this podcast. Okay, so let the record show that Mark is in line with Jim's perspective on alcohol and motorcycles, and John is all about boozy riding. No, no, that's not what I said. What'd you say? We're running out of time, oh, and yeah. I said, let's talk about this another time. Mm. I just was commending Jim for ending on such a somber note. Oh, uh, well. I thought it was a very upbeat note, John, uh, Jim. I, I appreciate that perspective, uh, and I'm behind you 100%, despite the fact that John is rolling his eyes about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think it's been great to do this, fellas. I really appreciate it. And if you if you want more out of me, I'd be happy to join to uh, help you diminish your readership. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.